0: I speak of the things which I have made, touching the King. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness and thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh, And alloys, and caesia out of the iry places whereby they have made thee glad. King's daughters were among thy honorable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. For he is thy lord. And worship thou him. And the daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought unto thee. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. Instead of thy fathers, shall be thy children, whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, shall the people praise thee forever and ever. Now, dividing this psalm into three main points, I want us to consider first, the king, second, the description of the king, And third, the king's bride. The king, the description of the king, and the king's bride. And the first question we need to ask and answer if we are to interpret this psalm accurately is, who is the king referenced throughout the psalm? While the text does not answer this question specifically through the applications of various interpretive Hermeneutical principles, we find that the answer becomes crystal clear regarding who this king is. And the first interpretive principle that we need to apply to this text is the undeniable truth that the Bible is all about one person and one theme. The Bible, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation is all about Jesus Christ. And specifically, it is about Jesus Christ coming for, dying in the place of, and communing with His people. The second interpretive principle that we need to recall to our minds as we read these words is the fact that much of the Old Testament scriptures and the Psalms are Prophetic in nature. And by this we mean that the truths that are articulated throughout the Old Testament are describing the one who is the promised Messiah as was promised in Genesis 3.15. You'll remember after the fall of man, God promised to Adam that there would be one who would come to crush the head of Satan. The first reference of a Messiah given, and then after that reference, we have a multitude of references alluding to the fact that one is going to come as king. One is going to come as a savior. The third interpretive principle that will help solidify who this king is is the obvious truth that Jesus in both Old and New Testament scriptures is called and described as a king. In fact, in our reading of the Old Testament scriptures, we read that the saints who lived prior to Christ's coming were anticipating a coming king who would be the God-man. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And in our reading of the New Testament scriptures, we also find Jesus affirming that He has a kingdom, which alludes to the fact that He is calling Himself a king. The apostles declare that Jesus is king, and then John confirming in the revelation that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then added to this, the fourth interpretive principle that helps us determine who this king is, is the simple fact that verse 6 and verse 17 cannot be rightly attributed to a finite human king. Verse 6, the psalmist says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. No earthly king can be rightly attributed as God. And then verse 17 I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, shall the people praise thee forever and ever. Again, no earthly king can receive eternal praise from a group of people. So taking these four principles and sifting them together as one, we ask the question, who is the king that the author of this psalm is eager to write about? The king being spoken of here is King Jesus. The one who is co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The depiction of the king here in Psalm 45 is the depiction of the king that was given to us in Psalm 21. Jesus' kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Jesus Christ is the only blessed sovereign, the one who is ruling and reigning from His throne. It is Jesus who said that He has all power in heaven and in earth. He is the one being referenced not only in this psalm, but throughout the whole of the psalms. Who is this King? It's Christ, the eternal King, the sovereign King. And then connected with this, I want you to notice in our second main point what this king is like. Notice in verses 2 through 9 the various descriptions of the king. Verse 2 states that the king is fairer than the children of men, meaning he excels all who ever live. Verse 2 also declares that the king is Full of grace. The king is gracious. Grace is poured into his lips. Recall to mind, John chapter 1, Jesus, the word who was filled with truth and grace. Likewise, in verse 2, we read that the king has been blessed of God forever. In verse 3, we find that the king is mighty and he is clothed with glory and majesty. In verse 4, the psalmist states that the king is majestic. In verses 4 and 5, the author of the psalm describes this king as one who is prosperous, one who is successful. He is the king of truth. He is the king of meekness. He is the king of righteousness. He is one who is terrible, meaning one who is awesome. In verse 6, we find the king being called God. God whose throne exists forever. In verse 7, the psalmist proclaims that the king is holy. This king loves righteousness and hates wickedness. He also states that God has anointed this king with the oil of gladness above everyone else. Meaning then that God gave to this king the graces of the Spirit to fulfill his mission. And this is a reference to the triune person of God. God the Father anointed His Son, Jesus Christ the King, by the power of the Holy Spirit. For what purpose? So that the King, King Jesus, would fulfill His mission in seeking and saving His people. You see, Jesus did the ministry in submission to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. This king is anointed by God and he's anointed with the oil of gladness. Hebrews, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And then verse 8 tells us that this king is altogether lovely and pleasant. The references of the king's garments smelling of myrrh and cassia out of the ivory places. Speak of the garment of righteousness that brings salvation to the lost. This also draws our mind to the birth of the king and the spices and the ointment that were brought to this king of righteousness. Think about it. The king who entered into this world of sin and death, this king who approaches poor, vile peasants who in their sinful condition give God A nauseated aroma has come to make such men pleasant by His righteousness. Do you see the Savior in the psalm? From beginning to end, it's all about Christ. Not only can we see Christ by applying the various interpretive principles upon the psalm, we see Him through the various descriptions given throughout the psalm. And then finally from verses 10 through 17 we are introduced to a love relationship that the king has with a bride. In verse 10 we have the beginning of an address spoken to a bride who is referred to as a daughter similar to the references of that which we find in the Song of Solomon. So asking and answering our third question now. We come to see who this king's bride is. And you'll notice, verse 10, that she is one who has been specifically invited to leave her father's house and join the king in marriage. The language of verse 10 is similar to what we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Remember, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Look at verse 10. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. Well, this fits in with the teachings of the gospel. Christ said, Whosoever does not love him above their earthly father and mother, son, or daughter is not worthy of him. To be in Christ is to leave the father's house, Satan's house, the God of this world, small g, the prince of the power of the air. In our sin, we are in and of the devil. But repenting, being drawn to Christ, being regenerated by the power of the Spirit, we are joined in relationship with Jesus Christ the King. Who is the King's Bride? The King's Bride is one who's been personally invited, and not only invited, but effectually called into a relationship with Christ and has obeyed such a call, being joined to Him. Who is the King's Bride? Notice second... The king's bride is one the king greatly desires. And as we go through these, your mind should be going to Song of Solomon and the language and the pictures of the Song of Solomon and each one desiring one another. The king's bride is one who he sincerely loves. Notice verse 10 and 11 again. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house, so shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord. Well, through the merits of the gospel, we know that it is Christ's redeeming love alone that makes his people lovely in his eyes. We are loved not because of anything we are, Or anything that we have done, we are loved because we have been chosen in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1. God's people are accepted by the Father because they have been married to Christ through the new birth. Who is the king's bride? Number one, the king's bride is one who has been specifically invited to join him in marriage. Number two, the king's bride is one who is sincerely loved. Who is the king's bride? Number three, the language given in verses 12 through 15 affirms that the king's bride is one who is cared for and protected by the king. The king's daughter is all glorious within, verse 13. Her clothing is wrought of gold. Verse 14 She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. Precision. Costly array. Verse 15, with gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought, they shall enter into the king's palace. You see the parallel truths that are applied to Christ's bride, Christ's church, Christ's sheep. Those who are called God's people are clothed in the perfections of Christ. Those who belong to Christ are filled with the gladness of Christ. They come with rejoicing. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. When God saves one from the miry pit and sets their feet upon the rock, He also puts a new song in their heart and mouth, even praise unto God. Who is this bride The bride is one who has been brought into the kingdom. Well, this is the promise of the king himself, John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's the king's palace. There's the kingdom. Verse 17 then announces that God's bride, God's people will praise the king not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Who is the king's bride? The king's bride is one who will be with him forever. You see it? I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations Therefore shall the people praise Thee forever and ever. And this is precisely what we read in Revelation. Those who have been washed by the blood of the crucified one, those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, those who have been made king and priest through the king of kings, through the eternal high priest will worship the eternal king forever and ever. So what do we have in this psalm? In this psalm, we have a description of the king's love for the bride and the demonstrations of what the king has done and will do for the bride. We have in this psalm the bridegroom's love for his bride and then the responding love the bride has for the king. And this exactly harmonizes with what John says in 1 John. We love Him because He first loved us. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So then the response of the bride, the expectation for those who know this king is, verse 11, to acknowledge Him as Lord and worship Him as such. The response is, verse 17, to praise Him forever and ever. There's the application. Seeing all that this merciful King is, seeing all that this merciful King has done for His people, the needed response is to submit to Him in humble adoration. And isn't this the spirit of Christmas? The Lord. So let me conclude by asking you this evening Do you know this King? Have you been married to him? Have you been united to him? Have you submitted to his authority? Have you been personally called to him by his Spirit? Have you been drawn by His grace? Do you see His loveliness? Has your heart been melted by the thought of His love toward you? Not just to all, but to you. But God commended His love toward you. And that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The question I'm asking is, are you in love with this king? Does your life show evidence that you are yielding to this king as Lord? Is it your burning desire to seek first the kingdom of God and Christ's righteousness? You see, these questions will determine whether or not you are a true believer. These questions will determine whether you are in the kingdom of God or you are in the kingdom of Satan. The question I am asking is, have you been born again? Has God made you an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ? If not, today's the day of salvation. Now's the accepted time. As you see the king high and lifted up. As you see his love and his mercy and his grace pouring out of the pages of his word. Only a fool would say, that's the king that I don't want. As you see him as the sovereign one who holds all within his hands, who has the power to cast both body and spirit in hell, we would be a fool to turn from him. Oh, but as we see him in his meekness, and his tenderness, as we see him in his loveliness, we're drawn to him to know him, we're broken before him, that such a king would love us. Sinful, rotten, rebellious peasants. That such a king would call us not only to be servants in his kingdom, but children. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Christian, does this message grow cold on your ears? May it never be. May it never be. Each waking morning, what hope can we have to face another day? The hope we have is King Jesus is on his throne And if God be for us, who can be against us? King Jesus has done everything possible for us to be united with God. And if we are in the sovereign king's hand, nothing shall separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. As everything unravels around us, can we not rejoice in that? Can we not take great comfort and delight in the fact that the one who saves is the one who keeps, and the one who keeps is the one who protects and provides. This is our king. This is our savior. This is our Lord. This is our master. Oh, church, Psalm 45 is a beautiful psalm that ought to cause all who know this king to love him more. Oh, for grace, to love him more.